What's up, guys? Welcome to The Strength Connection. I'm Michael Krakowski, and I'm here to connect you with the top minds in the world of strength to share stories, insights, and experiences to help you become stronger every day. We all have different goals. We all have different desires we want to achieve in our lives, but one common denominator for all of us is that strength will help with everything. Now for a time, you can grab a free copy of the One Day Strength Challenge. This is the playbook that incorporates proven strength aerobics training along with the skill of intuition to help you create, design, and achieve your perfect training plan that fits around your busy schedule. Just go to www.thebreakthroughsecrets.com and you can grab your free copy today. So today I've got my good friend, creator of Human Vortex Training, McGill Certified Practitioner and Strength Coach for Cyclist, Menachem Brody. Personally, it was great to connect with Menachem again. I've been on his podcast, the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast, a couple times and he connected with me on Breakthrough Secrets as well a couple times. Always a huge pleasure to connect with him. He's one of the smartest people I've met in the world of strength training and endurance sports and his new book, Strength Training for Cycling Performance, is now available and we dove right into the book here. Menachem and I talk in detail about the book, how to best use it to help you in cycling, but also how it's a great resource for anyone who wants to excel in endurance and strength training. I mentioned how his chapters on breathwork have helped me in both my kettlebell practice as well as running. And we talked about the most common mistakes cyclists make in strength training, the evolution of getting this book made, and how to use RPE training and data in the right way to help you the best way possible. So it's an absolute blast always connecting with Menachem, and I know you're going to get a ton of value from this episode. And you can get more information on Menachem on Facebook under his name, Menachem Brody, or YouTube under VR Training. And his book is available now on Amazon Kindle and will be in paperback in the upcoming month. So now, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I'll see you on the inside. Menachem, what's up, my brother? Oh, lots, Mike. It's been, uh, it's been good. We've actually kept in touch for the last couple of months, and I think we both got a lot going on here. Seriously, it's funny. I'm like, <laughs> listeners, sorry, we just had about like a 30-minute just catch-up session uh which is just a podcast in itself you know right there but dude it's great to see you um glad you're feeling a lot better i know you've been kind of down and out from some stuff but it's good to see you back on your feet and getting back into some training i know it's still a long journey but again great to you know great to see you man and appreciate your time thanks man same here yeah so uh dude first off congratulations Brand new book is out, Strength Training for Cycling Performance. So I saw number one in, in uh, new cycling and triathlon. So um, yeah, man, we're going to dive into this book. Before we get into the details, which, you know, first listeners, um, I got a chance to uh, look over this in uh, my ebook. Just a fantastic book for somebody who's not a endurance athlete per se. I got a lot out of it because especially I'm actually getting more into running. So a lot of the stuff that you talked about with breath work for endurance training, I could see the carryover, not just into specific cycling, but whatever sport you as you're going to get a lot, you know, from this. But my first question for you, Menachem, with the book really is how long was this book kind of in your head and you were working on it before it actually got down into paper and now out for the mass public? Uh, years. Uh, it took eight years. I actually started writing it in 2013. Uh, I'd come back from uh, one of my best friend's weddings in Arizona and running for a bus that didn't actually matter if I made it or not to go to the, um, to the market here. I sprained my ankle pretty bad at grade two. I was on crutches. I was coaching CrossFit at the time and I, I lived far enough away that, you know, to pay the uh, fee for the taxi to go each way and then the crutch over the cobbles just didn't make sense so I had a lot of time at home uh, uh, over a course of a month and a half and actually wrote like 75,000 words or something in that time and a lot of it was garbage <laughs> um, and I knew that right so that's how the, that's how the writing process goes a lot of people don't realize you really write for the, the garbage bin uh, I learned that at a young age my dad actually has a, a PhD in English writing uh, he was a university um, uh, professor for a number of years before he got into his second uh, profession. So I actually learned how to write at a young age. And I just, I just wrote, I literally sat down some days, either in all honesty, I was either waking up and watching Gilmore Girls and having coffee and chocolate. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, or, or I was getting up and writing. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. Fantastic chill lots of just uh i forget what the word is but the babble back and forth is uh fantastic uh now i watch one of the episodes I'm like oh my god it's so annoying um the banter <laughs> but um 
you know, it, it took me that time. And then uh, from 2012 until 2014, I essentially sat on the shelf, so to speak. And what I came to realize is just the more I, I read into fitness and strength training, when it came to cyclists, really Celine Yeager, who actually was kind enough to write the foreword for this, uh, was the only one talking strength training. It was really an uphill battle. She'd been doing it for, I think at that point, 12 or 14 years. And it was really interesting because I came to the realization it's too early for this. I'll get a couple of early adopters, but it's too early from the standpoint of people aren't ready for it, uh, as well as I haven't, I haven't nailed it down enough. So I went back through a couple of the chapters and even when I went and rewrote it with the first editor in the first edition, uh, I mean, this is a completely new book. So there, there's two of them. So uh, February, a year and a half ago, I released The Vortex Method, mm-hmm. uh, which was the bones of this book. And then I put it out knowing the editing and the photo qualities and the structure wasn't quite where I wanted it to be. But I'm of the opinion, um, kind of like John Goodman is like, do good enough and put it out. And then uh, you can kind of, you know, adjust as you go. So you do the job that you need to, and then you see what the feedback is and go from there. And John's written something like, I think, nine or 10 books at this point, if not more, like Ignite yeah. the Fire. Yeah. And I think there's been different editions of it that has come out at the same time too. Right? Yeah. So it's like, um, I mean, that's one thing, especially with exactly. nonfiction books like that. It's like, you're always, you know, adding, I was just, I was, um, I was just uh, actually reading a book um, from Russell Brunson stuff with ClickFunnels with his Secrets trilogy of .com, which I think is in its fourth edition now. And I think he, I think everybody who bought his first edition that he had like from an email list or something, he like sent out a new copy of the new book. He's like, no, this one's shit. Like, you know, get, get into this one now. This one's the new <laughs> stuff going on. So, all right. So that was about 2014 yeah. that you said. Yeah. Yeah. So we had, uh, I had 75,000 words, 77. And then in 2017, I actually had an intern came, uh, who's, uh, you know, become a friend. Uh, so Asher was, you know, was like, I'd really like to learn more. Do you have anything aside from the blog or from your YouTube, you know, let's do YouTube videos. He was kind of the push to do that. I was like, Oh yeah. You know, I started writing a book and he actually went through it and he's like, well, the writing's not that great, but the information in there is really good. And, and I actually gave him the manuscript that I'd printed out. That was like 240 three or 48 pages long. I can't remember which one it was. Something that was close to eight. And um, so I was like, okay, let's revisit this. And over the course of the next two or three years, just as I worked with more cyclists, I just kind of refined things. So a number of the chapters completely changed, uh, got it together, self-published it before my son was born. I mean, that was a deal I made with myself. Before I come, become a dad, this book is going to get published uh, because otherwise it won't. And I, I kind of learned that from my dad. Uh, he wrote two novels. Um, one of them he wrote three uh, halfway uh, before some point in his life. I can't remember what exactly it was. And then he wrote the second half because he's like, I really need to get this done. It's been sitting here for a couple of years. I still remember the big oak desk that we had on the third floor uh, from the University of Pittsburgh when they did renovations back in the 1980s. We actually, or early 90s. And I remember my dad and our neighbor and like two other guys carrying this desk upstairs. Not until we moved out did I realize the thing weighed like 200 pounds. Like it's wow. pure oak. Like it took five guys to get it down. Uh, anyhow, um, so he tried to publish that I think twice, and essentially it came down to the, the distance between the writing processes were so long. When he sent it to the publisher, uh, and this is before e-publishing, they they were like thirsty for like send us the next chapter, send us the next three, send us the next four, and then the last three chapters were kind of. Mm-hmm. And you know, my dad's like, yeah, the writing process just took too long, so. From the time Usher mentioned that, I was always working on it more in like Word or um, uh, Google Notes or Apple Notes. But 2018, I got it done. 2019, uh, I finished it after I broke my fibula. Uh, So I went back, rewrote a whole bunch of it. The actual manuscript was 148,000 words. And the first editor did a hell of a job to get rid of it. (laughs) A lot of it. So we got it down. Um, I know this is really long, but that, that's how long the book takes, right? So it wasn't just me like sitting and be like, I'm going to do a chapter a month and then blowing through it. It really was like my wife a couple of times was like, why do you have all these old training journals out? Because I had mine, my clients, other like everything. I was constantly going back. So once it was finally done, we, we put it out. The negative feedback on it was essentially they didn't like the structure, which I didn't really like either. 
and it needed to be edited. The, the editor I hired, I realized very quickly, was great at editing blogs. Like that's the style of writing. Um, he wanted to keep kind of my voice, which is great, but when it came to the book, it needed a more professional feel. So those were the only negative aside from two smart asses. I was like, oh, I'm a cyclist. I, run a, I want to learn to lift weights. Because I start off the book by saying, you know, the importance of strength training for cyclists. These are the mistakes that people make. Mm-hmm. And this guy was like, oh, I, I read through the first couple pages and I had to go all the way through to the end to get to the actual training plans. I'm like, there's a lot of information there. It's not just pick things up and put it down. Exactly. Um, but that was a lot of the, the reorganization for it. And, and it was really tough. Um, it's hard to see your stuff get edited with the second editor. I was like, look, you've helped edit a number of really good books. Have at it. I trust you. And then we'll read through the final one together. And that took another six months uh, to go through. So mm-hmm. uh, it's completely different now. It reads very, very professionally as opposed to kind of hearing my my voice throughout mm-hmm. it. Um, but to wrap it up, because I think I've been going on for like five minutes on this, is it took me 10 years to write the damn thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, it, it's interesting. Eight years to get the first edition out and then it, another two. Well, it's interesting because, I mean, being a, I just, I love reading in general and I've read, you know, lots of strength books now over 15 years of, you know, being in this business. The one thing I really did love about your book was how it was structured because there's some theoretical aspects of why you're doing this, but then it gets gets into the detail of the programming afterwards. And I think a lot of times you see some pro because I've read some books that are very world renowned in strength training that just go way over my head because it goes right into the plan and the programs right away. When it's like a lot of times, especially someone for me, like I want to understand a little bit of the why beforehand, which I think I'm more of the norm rather than, you know, kind of like the minority on that. So that's what I really loved about it. And I love really in the fundamentals part, which is really the first section that you talk about the common mistakes right off the bat, you know, from there. And I think that was a perfect way of jumping in because that's what I've seen is a lot of times I've done a lot of different programs before. So I kind of want to see like, how you either earn this or learn this. Like, and a lot of times we learn from just the mistakes that we see first. So I loved how you started with that. If you can kind of tell us a little bit about some of those common mistakes that you kind of found in this book, I think that'd be awesome. Absolutely. And the thing that's interesting about it, most fitness books uh, are around 25,000 written words, 18 to 25, 25 is long. Uh, This one is at 85,000 and it's not a a matter of like, Oh, I want to impress this, but more to impress upon the listeners. Like there are three other strength training for cycling books out there. Uh, weightlifting for cyclists or two other, uh, maximum, uh, velocity, I think it's called, um, which are both pretty good. That one was also self-published by the author. Um, and I just remember reading them and having the same response you did Mike. And that is like, I'd really like to understand the why behind it and kind of, you know, what's the, the theory behind it. And writing this book, that's what we're missing in the endurance community. Um, Jason Fitzgerald, who has um, Strength Running Podcast, has done a nice job of, of opening runners up to more uh, sustainable strength training for running, we'll call it. And really what it comes down to is a number of people are where, you know, I kind of compare it to where the U.S. was in the 1970s, right? So you had Arnold coming in. Uh, the Soviet Union is starting to crack a little bit. You know, Germany is making waves at the Olympics, regardless of whatever they were doing uh, at, in their training. But we're starting to see fitness come more mainstream in the States. And that's kind of where cycling in specific and definitely triathlon are right now. It's kind of like that Jane Fonda. You just have to move, right? You have to do stuff. Mm. So the common mistakes, that was mistake number one, is training like a general fitness enthusiast. Uh, or gym goer, because that's where most cyclists go. And that's not necessarily a massive mistake, except you're just training for strength's sake. And this goes to back to what we were talking about before we hit record of, you know, does the weight really matter? And the answer is no, um, for the vast mm-hmm. majority of people. Um, Michael Yesis has a fantastic book, uh, The One by 20 uh, Revolution, I think it's called, something like that. Uh, he's a Soviet era scientist where he essentially talks about training to max, but training to 20 RM. Uh, now his program is very uh, structured for the U S and that it's like bicep curls and tricep and you do the fundamental five plus one movements. But when it comes to strength training for cycling, a lot of it is 
just common myths and misconceptions, right? So it's lifting heavy stuff or training like a power lifter, um, trying to get functional. So cyclists love lunges and squats and now deadlifts, the posterior chain. And it's like, there's so many other things that come before that. Yes, you should learn that. But the number one challenge that we have as adult endurance athletes is checking our ego at the door and actually learning how to move. Mm. Um, the other side of it, and, and we actually cut out, there were actually 10 mistakes and the, the new editor or the first editor cut out two. And then the new editor said, just keep it to five. And then we did six um, just because a sixth one is a big one. But the other mistake we have is thinking that when you're, it's either or, it's either strength training or on bike training. And I think that we see this, you know, it really is a matter of how intense are you going? What, what do you want out of your training, right? And that's where the whole theory gets into things because there's everybody and their mother is putting out a $9.99 strength training for cycling program, which is lunges and squats and deadlifts. And now it's lift heavy shit because that's become the mantra where it's gone so far to the right, which was high reps, low weight. And now so far to the left, which is lift heavy shit that right. people are, are missing the human being in here. And that is life happens. Yes, you want to be a better cyclist, but the fundamental of this is to improve how your body functions. Mm -hmm. And it's not functional training. It's just learning how to move. Right. Um, that's, that's such an interesting point you just bring up there. And I love that you put that out of functional because I think that's a word that when I got into this business around 2007, 2008, that was all you heard from everything is you need to do functional training, functional training. And I'm like, I understand where it's going. It means you know, kind of, you know, whole body movements, you know, make sure that you're training movement quality over movement quantity first, which is all great. But at the same time, like, like, like everything, people take it all of a sudden, all the way to one full lane. And you start to hear, you know, those little, you know, grades on the gridlock of the road being like, no, you're going too far here. Cause then everybody stopped doing actual strength based work and they stopped actually getting strong in it too. And now you're saying now a lot of people have even gone on the other side of it now just focusing on max effort strength and max effort lifts. When in reality, I think on both sides, whether it is if you lose sight of exactly what the goal is, right, which if you're training for cycling, the goal is to become a better cyclist and to get better times in your cycling, right? And that's got to maintain the number one focus and the number one goal. Yeah. And this ties right back to what we talked about when you came on my podcast a while ago, and that is, you know, train track versus highway training. Right. And so many folks now, like now is the perfect time of year to talk about this because it's October. So there's always a big uptick in people looking for strength training plans. It's almost like a tsunami that, you know, is coming and people are putting their bikes down and going to the gym and thinking that getting sore from their strength training is a sign that they're getting better or not being able to walk downstairs. And they don't coordinate their on bike with their strength training. Like really these two are very symbiotic. And if you look at track cyclists who are some of the most powerful cyclists in the world, uh, like the all time tour de France winners, uh, Mark Cavendish, or he's tied, I believe with Eddie Merckx actually, I think he tied or he passed them, uh, came from track cycling, but it, it's coordinated. Uh, like the, the, uh, championships are in Roubaix, uh, this year, uh, this week, actually. Mm -hmm. So there's an Israeli rider I'm working with, uh, who's there and we're still doing moderate weights, light, moderate, but people, the average, the general masses think it's either one or the other, either it needs to be, it's train track. I'm either strength training or I'm riding my bike. And that mm -hmm. is completely upside down. Like the bike is the main thing. That's why you're doing strength training. So you need to still be doing stuff. However, the traditional base where you're going out and riding at a very low beats per minute and very low effort that is necessary. And most people don't do it right. So what are we going to do instead? How about we combine these two things? And, and that's where I put in a, a chapter with specific on bike intervals that will help people be able to tie these together. And it's not just for cyclists. We can also turn these over for runners as well. But as it pertains to what you were just talking about is it's so easy to get swept up in what's, what's popular, right? Mm -hmm. So in investing, Facebook is a popular stock. So people are piling in. Well, guess what? Facebook is going to have the crap regulated out of it, right? Them, which means their stock price should drop, should drop as much as Alibaba. Alibaba, the whole thing was regulation in China and CCCP. Mm -hmm. Well, the U.S. Congress, China is telling you exactly what they're doing. Like they're, they're, they're not the communist country a lot of people think they are, um, but people are, are freaking out and it's lost 60% of its value in a year. 
Facebook is probably going to go down 30%. And then people will be like, it's still Facebook. It'll be fine. Screw the government. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the problem we have is we're just following the masses. Uh, James Clear talks about it in Atomic Habits. Mm-hmm. Uh, BJ Fogg talks about it in uh, his book, uh, Tiny Habits. Yep. If we can break away from what's popular, you can actually get to what works. And when you actually go to these, these top cyclists and top performers, like you're training now for Sinister, like you said, like, you know, we talked about how the gold is, is appearing more and more in your kettlebell videos that you're uploading. Mm-hmm. And you had to go through those crappy two weeks, but finally just started to pop. But you're smart enough to be like, okay, today it's a grind. So I'm going to get just enough of a training load at that weight to get a feel. And then I'm going to go down and make sure I have that rhythm. Mm-hmm. So it's not a, a train track for you. Um, it's a highway where it's like, okay, we're going this way. Are we going super fast because things are working well? Are we going to refine and work on the fundamentals and not, fun- not worry about quote unquote function or something's really jacked up and we do have to work on function for me, like my hip or my shoulder. Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting because the, the train track versus the highway, it's something that I've been playing around and keep teetering with for the last year or so. And people have called me out on it saying like, well, if you like one, if you work better on one versus the other, like, shouldn't you stay on that track? And I'm like, yes, you probably one is going to feel more familiar versus than other. You know, it's like some people like SUVs versus, you know, smaller kind of sporty cars. You might feel better than one. It's probably good to understand how to utilize and work both of them at the same time though. And as you're talking, it's so interesting because you know, you mentioned that as one of the mistakes of training with the off season, like that's the only time to do training and vice versa. And I used to train a crew team a long time uh, ago, which was a high school team. And I was one of the biggest mistakes I probably made, you know, one year was I was emphasizing so much of their strength work in the off season because it was winter. It's like, we've got only this amount of time. We got to really focus on strength right now. And then you'll get to your ergs and then you'll get your times up and you'll be all, you know, grand and glorious. And Yeah, logically, it sounds good. Yeah, focus on one thing versus another. But then the next year afterwards, we brought the ergs into the fitness center. So they were doing their erg work to keep their skills going of rowing with the boat, then getting their strength training in because that's their sport. That's their practice. Their times went way up in the time when they were practicing the erg. So I think as a strength coach, I kind of had to put my ego aside and be like, no, they need to their goal is to get really good when they get on the water come springtime, which means they need to get their erg practice in. And I think sometimes, especially as young strength coaches, we think that the strength piece is just the most vital and we need to put everything else aside. And it's like, I understand that, but I think as you said, like you got to keep the main goal, the main goal, like I'm training for sinister right now, but my goal is I want to be really energized and focused for my day to do everything else that I need to do as well. So if you have those grind days, you have to step back and be like, okay, I'm going to get a certain amount in. So I still have energy to do everything else throughout the day. Because if I just push it through, I'm going to be worthless for my clients or if I'm jumping on a podcast and so on and so forth. So you got to keep that main goal, the goal, right? Yeah. And that's the challenge for most people. So I just had a conversation about exactly this this morning with one of the pro basketball players I work with. Uh, we had a great off season. Uh, a little bit longer than we'd like um, by about two weeks, but uh, had a great off season, really added a lot of strength, uh, a lot more. Um, I wouldn't call it power, but the, the precursor for power, just because we had about eight and a half weeks to work with. And that was it. There's only so much you can do. And then he had an issue flare up. So today we had the hard conversation of, um, you know, he's come a long way from like, yeah, I didn't really think strength training was important, but now I see that, it, that it really helps me to, he had an issue with a tenderness issue. And as you know, that can be hell to deal with, especially, you know, preseason, the coaches are running them and, um, it's essentially exactly. So we, we had the hard conversation this morning and I, and, and I just said to him, like, he said to me, you know, I need to do strength training because, you know, I want this, uh, I want this season to be really good. And I just said to him point blank, I was like, do you need strength training for this season to be really good? Or do we need to take you from like a three, four pain down to a one, two or zero one, or occasionally four where you're like, that was a hard game last night. Like I'm going to feel it tomorrow. And he's like, well, I, I need, I need to at least maintain it. I'm like, well, no, if you're maintaining, you're going backwards. Cause you're just, especially for a tenderness issue, you're, it's just going to get worse. Mm-hmm. So what we need to do is we need to figure out how to train your core, which is everything between your neck, elbows and knees without pissing that thing off. Mm-hmm. And it took him a minute to kind of really grasp that. And he was like, yeah, but I really need to be stronger. I was like, why? 
has your level dropped that that much you're playing and he kind of sat there for a minute looked at me he you know you kind of touched the ego a little bit and he goes well i just feel a lot better the end of the summer i felt so much better and then this happened like okay do you think that we can keep you and and slowly bring down that that pain and discomfort to a point where you can play and not worry about it in the back of your head Mm -hmm. he's like yeah so we went through the conversation three or four more minutes and he's like, yeah, but you know, two days ago I did my strength training and then it started bothering me. I was like, exactly. The main thing is your basketball. We need you healthy enough. How many more years do you want to play? Mm-hmm. Five, eight, 12? He's like, well, I, I, want, I want to play as many as I can. On the other side of things, I have a, a conversation after this with a, he's been with me for about a year. I'm a more experienced cyclist who we've been over this. We just finished a heavy summer. Like we did heavy lifting where he actually went up every single week in weight. Mm-hmm. It was RPE 7, RPE 8, and he just went up every single week. But the level we're working at, I'm like, okay, he's not getting injured. We're going to let it go. We'll have a conversation when we do the year overview. And that's going to be today. And the conversation is going to be, you wrote me in the email, okay, when do we go heavy? We've been doing heavy. You need to be a little bit of a contrarian here. You saw the results during the season. Mm-hmm. Put on a little bit of weight, sure. Things have been stressful you guys started a new business as a family which adds a lot lot, lack of sleep the type of business they're Mm -hmm. in is early early mornings okay so you need to take a step back and and be you know you don't need to be be iconoclast but you need to take a step back and think what do i actually need out of this and for most cyclists and endurance athletes the weight on the bar is completely irrelevant Mm -hmm. especially cycling and running it's a pulsing sport. Kettlebell swings, fantastic. Kettlebell cleans, fantastic. It's pulsing. It's teaching you that double athletic pulse. Um, yet you hear most uh, cyclists doing box jumps, you hear right every time they land because, sorry, because they just don't have the understanding that if you want to be an athlete, it's about producing just enough stiffness yes. to control while producing the power that you need proximal stiffness for distal motion. And so many people don't get that. Um, so it, how we got here was, you know, we talked about train track versus the, the highway here and how athletes need to change how they think about things. I think you should change it from train track to highway to train track to highway with either cruise control or Tesla self-driving. Yes. Like which one are you doing? Mm-hmm. Right. Cause the train track is, is the old mentality of lift things up, put them down. <clears throat> We're here to pump you up, you know, like, yeah, you could do that, but wouldn't you rather be someone who's actually putting in the right amount of work as opposed to just slugging it out? Like the whole story with Abe Lincoln. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. Sharpen the, sharpen the saw, the big, strong, chop down all the trees and then the other guy's sitting down. Yeah. 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 Well, it is. Well, and the highway is is such an interesting, um, you know, analogy. You know, if you if you haven't heard this before, I promise I I should probably do a whole podcast on just the highway model from there. But it is I tell people a lot of times, like, you know, the left lane is when you're feeling really good. Like that's the day when it's like, all right, I'm feeling really good. Um, You know, things are lining up. That's the day to push it a bit. It's like, well, it's like, yeah, you might see that opening on the left lane, but the left lane is still the most dangerous lane in the highway. It's like, you still need to be cautious of that. Like you can't just go in and just push it. So I've had people who have, are working with your technique. If they say they need to refine and work with their technique, you don't need to go in the left lane. Like you're going to get everything that you need to done from the middle lane and from the right lane. You know, and as you mentioned, kind of with basketball too, I think that was even back in the eighties when you know, Michael, after the last dance came out and people saw Michael Jordan's whole journey of the Detroit Pistons and when he was getting the shit kicked out of him from those guys. So he needed to get in the weight room and lift. And that's when lifting and strength training in professional sports and basketball started to become big because Michael was bigger than, than anything. But people don't really realize still that Michael was still in the gym working on a shot. He was still getting all his reps in for basketball. That was still the number one thing. And I think that's where it's been a topic of kind of goal setting that I've talked with a lot of people on the podcast of like how to properly set goals. Like, do we even call it goals anymore? Cause some people are like, no, I don't need goals. Other people, you need to have a goal. And it's like, I think goal setting is absolutely perfect, but is it actually really the goal that you're aiming for? It's like the guy that you said, it's like, you want to get stronger. You feel good being stronger, but you, you're going to feel really good when you can play a full season of basketball and you're not feeling that pain and that injury. So it's like sometimes that's where I think the roles of coaches and support and everything like that comes in to just kind of 
keep us in that right track. You know, that's why you have a navigator when you drive on the highway. Just be like, hey, make sure you stay in your lane. Yeah. Uh, we can even call it rally car. You know, there's highway, <laughs> train track, and rally car. You got to have somebody else there calling out, 0.2 kilometers, yeah, <laughs> turn left, 120 degrees. You know? uh, uh, there's a great YouTube video of this guy took his wife, his girlfriend at the time who became his wife, and you just see her first time, and she's <laughs> and she just reading 0.6 kilometers. Oh my God, that's right. great. <laughs> Loose gravel. Um, <laughs> I'll see if I can find it. I remember, I almost, oh, that was hilarious. That was a number of years ago. But that's what I think a lot of people are missing. And I actually had a, an instance also today, um, a younger player, where we've now seen the same motor mistake happen three times, not under necessarily heavy load, but under fatigued, moderate heavy load. And this is a lower back motor mistake. So something I'm very familiar with um, on a number of levels, personally and professionally. Uh, and part of the reason why I got into the McGill uh, certification thing is it's like, I don't need another certification. Then I looked at how do you actually get it and what you need to know and how you apply it. Like, okay, this is a no brainer. But with this athlete, it's a matter of kind of taking a step back and saying, okay, we saw the motor mistake once. Here's how we're going to address it. We see the motor mistake again under fatigue. All right. And how long did it take to go away? Okay. So there's no residual damage, but we, we've now seen that. And then today uh, we did a set of 10, set of eight, two sets of five at uh, RPE of seven, but the last set rep number three, it was all rounding the lower back L3, L4. And he's, he's, he's smart enough. He's like, yeah, what well, we talked about, I, I feel it now. And it's not, a, you know, this is something where the vast majority of people are just going to keep going. The number of cyclists, it, it, it boggles my mind. And I actually have been talking to a couple mentors, uh, about writing another book. Uh, I did not plan to write another book. Mm -hmm. This one needs to be done, I think, um, about lower back injuries in cyclists and triathletes. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to be assessment or, or um, helping you diagnose, but just like an, an explanation of what exactly is going on. Because this is how most cyclists hurt their backs. A number of cyclists I've spoken to clearly have a back issue, a very big one, and are just saying, oh, no, it's normal part of cycling is insane. These are folks that I've, I've had, I've done interviews for the Big Year Blueprint, which is my uh, group where we have like live weekly calls. It's a, a high touch program. So you don't just get coaching for you, but you also see how other people are coached. So the last cohort, we actually had two people who had the same exercise for completely different reasons. And it was cued completely differently. And the light bulbs, it was like, you know, going for the, the Tim Allen turn on the Christmas lights on tool time. You know, like if you ever saw that one where they all put on, he has yeah. his on and they, oh, I can't see it. Turn it off. And then the oh. plane, and then the plane lands from the house, right? Like, yeah. And the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it was that, that kind of moment. So with, with these types of things, it's not just a conversation, but you have to dig out these previous misconceptions and myths. And it takes a long time and they happen very quickly. So coming back to the original point of, you know, having that coach there to kind of guide you, we have the most challenging ever time in being coaches in that anybody can open their phone and open up Facebook or Instagram and find a hard effing workout and beat the living crap out of themselves. I just saw two women doing burpees this morning as part of a, a TRX class at, uh, down by the river after dropping the kiddo off at, at, at uh, nursery. And they are two people who definitely should not be doing, uh, clearly the one was postpartum just based on her, her movement patterns, mm -hmm. uh, or she never strength trained in a world and has had a number of kids. And the other one was just really floppy and weak, like no muscle tone at all. And anybody can go on and the expectation of a coach is that they're going to push you, right? And they have to give you hard stuff. So to be able to go through something where it says, check your ego out the door. How about we do a 4040 tempo body weight squat and see how you do. Mm -hmm. And let's do that for three sets of 10. Most people will get to rep number three, but like, screw this. It, it's too hard. Uh, or they won't say that. It will be too hard. They'll say, well, this is, this is silly. Where's the mm -hmm. resistance? You're like, well, your form sucks. Your knees are falling in. You're rounding yeah. your back. Your head's falling forward. You look like, you know, you're, you're one of those bobbleheads. Like, I, I need weights. And as coaches, it's, it, I do not envy any of the new trainers nowadays mm -hmm. because it is really, really hard. Mm -hmm. If you want to have a business, either you have to have TNA 
a six pack yeah. or insane workouts. Mm-hmm. And once that happens, it's like automatically you have a business. How long it lasts is going to vary depending on a number of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that's a hard statement, but you know, I'm just calling it how I see it. And this is a challenge. This is where so many people, Mike, are, they say they're on the highway with the cruise control. They're on the train track. They're just going out and bashing themselves into the ground thinking it has to be hard. And when you actually look at these athletes who are posting their workouts, their real workouts, they don't have any comments. They don't have any likes. Mm-hmm. Steffi Cohn is a great example of that. For a number of, of years, I think, when she first was on Instagram, she didn't post her really heavy ones. She posted some of her failures, some of her regular training. Yeah. And she had like 300 likes, 400 likes. Of course, her following was smaller, but the, the interactions were much less. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you see her put up a meet, and it's like 3,000 likes, 5,000 comments, because people think or are attracted to these, these impressive things. But um, Ed Cohen never missed a lift. It wasn't yeah. sexy. It wasn't, you know, if he was on Instagram nowadays, nobody pay attention to him. Yeah. Except for when he's like, oh, we're doing heavy today. <laughs> like, and that was what, once every six months? You know, it was funny. I think it was a couple of years ago when, uh, when half Thor broke the world record in deadlift and it was like, you know, 1110 pounds or something like that. It was like absolutely insane. And people were commenting all the time. It's like, oh, we had so much more left because he pulled it relatively easy for as easy as you can lift 1100 pounds off the ground. He did it pretty easily. And the whole concept behind this is because every single time when he was in the gym training very, very you know, low percentages, you know, for him, I mean, it still looks like, you know, he's lifting 700 pounds, but what he can do, it's a low percentage as far as RPE. But, you know, me and Chris talked about this uh, a lot before in a lot of conversations about it's just, they're training themselves that every single time they step up to the bar, the bar is going up. It's like, it's just that mentality of it. So yeah, he probably did have more in the tank, but he didn't need to. It's just, he already had that set up. It's like, yeah, is it, more exciting do you might get more viral likes by the grind of just driving through it and you see the determination and the willpower to finish up or you know still at the top of it he still finished the lift and it's still a world record and it's funny i saw something i think it was from lane norton who said like the things that hold the most value don't go viral it's like it's those it's like and that's you know if you're looking to get your if you're looking to get fitness information and really a lot of stuff from things like Instagram and Facebook right off the bat, and if you're looking for likes as credibility for that program, then you're probably looking in a little bit, you know, wrong direction going there, you know, cause there's a million books, there's books out there just like yours and out um, like Stuart McGill's, you know, type stuff where you can really get the good stuff that's going on there. It's not the sexiest thing that you're going to see, but it's going to give you the most valuable information, you know, but you know, if it's, if there's a young strength coach that, that listens to this and going in, I'd say, hold your guns of what you feel is most valuable and just keep that message going, you know, from there. And that's, uh, you know, I think that's the best thing, you know, to roll with, but, you know, to go into, you know, something you just kind of brought up in there is that RPE, which is that rate of perceived exertion, which I think is a really fascinating thing to talk about with training because it's completely subjective to one person versus another is, are cyclists, do they seem like they have a higher RPE because it's such a grueling sport on the bike that when then they get into strength, do they kind of push it a little bit higher than maybe the norm? Great question. Cyclists and triathletes are awful at RPE training. Yeah. And what I mean by that is they always go too hard. Mm-hmm. Always. Um, just to touch on one thing about the, the value and, and, and glorious, like I've had a number of people, uh, I think three at this point comment on some of my videos, like, Oh, four minutes and two seconds or eight minutes in to get to the actual exercise. Like, dude, if you just want to see the exercise, go somewhere else. And one of them was kind enough to say, you know, you can timestamp these. I was like, cool. I'll check it out. Not interested. <laughs> like that's not, I'm a teacher. I want people to, to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but that ties in with this as well. And this is where, you know, cyclists and triathletes are, are so, bad like they really think that the harder they go the the better it's going to be like soreness as an indicator of a good strength workout is pretty much ubiquitous uh is that the right word there's ubiquity mm-hmm. i can't remember <laughs> i'm so tired <laughs> yeah the corona also the mind fog from corona that that shit's real man yeah i am I have like four different notebooks. I have a, a to-do list. I have mm-hmm. all these different reminders for stuff. Ubiquitous. That's what it yes. is. Uh, with, uh, with, with strength training. And, and really, that, that's one of the, the issues that we have. And I laid that out really early in the book in, um, I think, page 23. 
uh, performance essentials. In order to see performance increase on the bike, there are a few essential things that can and should be addressed. Breathing patterns, number one, which there's a, uh, so much that people don't know about breathing, right? Mm -hmm. I, I barely touch on it in my podcast or YouTube videos. Even in those, the high-level athletes I coach, there's only so much I can do because then they start looking at me like I have, I'm growing green horns and you know papayas out of my ears. Um, learning and practicing bike handling and the skill of riding, what we talked about before, and getting a quality bike fit. So all of these things come before strength training with a program that builds performance on the bike. And that's kind of where cyclists and triathletes are absolutely awful. And what's interesting is, is the book ranked number one in triathlon first for new releases, and it's number four in overall in the books. And I don't say that to impress anybody, but just they're looking for something hard. So I am expecting some, some negative reviews from that, like this isn't hard enough. Because they expect that it needs to go really, really tough in order for them to see results. So when it comes to training with RPE, the gentleman I mentioned before that I'll have a conversation with when we're done here, the bar doesn't need more weight every week. You just have to listen to where your central nervous system is, where your breathing is. Today, I was scheduled to do a, a, a lift. I did a six and a half kilometer walk yesterday with my son. We did an 8% grade for 300 meters or something in the middle. And I'm toasted. I feel like I did an eight-hour endurance ride yesterday, like all day, no rest stops kind of thing, mm -hmm. uh, feeds from the car. No lift because it's going to be garbage. And some people would say, oh, you need the consistency. Mm -hmm. Well, consistency only matters as far as how much you can recover and adapt. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where the book closes, is recovery and adaptation. By that point, most people don't even bother reading it. Yeah. But it's very pointed, uh, very focused in helping people. And it's not these – let's bring it back to your question and not go down that rabbit hole actually because uh, I, I ranted on a couple of <laughs> things here when it comes to psychos and triathletes the rpe is an awful way to train mm -hmm. like i've got two guys right now in my stable uh, of eight nine ten athletes nine athletes that can actually do it well both mm -hmm. during base training or base i, I don't want to train by RPE. I just and a lot of it comes with Mental fatigue, they're getting off the bike in the morning, getting into the gym in the evening. That seems to be the trend. doesn't really matter which one you choose as long as you're consistent. But the RPE for most cyclists, they're just going to go heavier every time. Mm -hmm. Like the, the returns on doing the simple thing of focusing on how you're moving is insane. Right. Uh, this Friday, as, as we're recording here, so it's going to be a, an episode that I've been meaning to record for a year. But finally, Colin and I, I've worked with twice in, in my career, uh, the last two and a half years with just strength training, uh, the last year, or eight months with strength training and on bike. He has seen fantastic results because he's so process oriented. He's so focused on moving better. And he's hitting all time PRs. He's crushing. P Some of his rides have been flagged on Strava as e-bike and cheating. But there are numerous people who are there seeing it and people don't believe him. Like you're not moving at heavy weight. You don't have a kettlebell over 40 pounds that you use. How is it possible that you can possibly use this? And it's not even that hard and go that fast. You're lying. You're on something. You're using an e-bike. And this is where there's such a disconnect in society between what actually gets you there and what people believe. Mm -hmm. So RPE training like you just talked about, uh, half Thor, I still have the picture on my laptop of, of him pulling the, cause he actually used truck wheels, yeah. which made it even more impressive. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't tons of your plates. It was truck wheels <laughs> yeah, or tractor wheels. Yep. People don't believe that mm -hmm. they, they really don't because what goes on Instagram isn't what actually happens. Mm -hmm. And insane to see the few people who do follow and learn RPE. Yeah, it's cool to have all the technology and all these uh, uh, measurements, but if you actually want to see progress and performance, it's actually really stupid simple and kind of boring, kind of like value investing, right? Warren Buffett sits there and reads 10K after 10K, mm -hmm. and then he finds one or two businesses, and then he doesn't buy it. He waits. How long? Who knows? And when it finally goes on sale, people are like, why are you buying it? It's going to hell. And then right. five years later, they're like, wow, how did you do that? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's fine. I think, you know, on that point too, it's, you know, we're always in that search. I, I think it's, we're always in that search for good versus bad rather than that better versus worse. You know, it's like what program Hafnor did to get that deadlift record is good. So anybody that didn't follow that program and did anything less than that is bad. It's like, no, it's like, what is making you 
better versus worse. You know, the RPE is something that I've always been fascinated about because there's so much data, like, you know, talk about, you know, social media, you can see the information is free nowadays. It's like, you can grab as much information as you possibly want out there on every single thing that we're talking about. And that doesn't mean that it's going to, you know, serve you well. You got to find what's best for you. But I've seen like my good friend, Adam Glass, he is trained. He's on a hundred day challenge right now. He's training every single day, setting new PRs every single day in his training. And people are like, you can't train, you can't, you know, you can't PR every single day because it's not the norm. You know, it's like, that's not what's supposed to happen. We like to put everything in that box, but I think it's, I wonder if it's, do you think it's the RPE is a bad way to go because when you're on the bike, it is such a grueling thing. And there is a mental benefit to that where you feel like you push through and you get like that mental high that we think that that's just the same thing physiologically and physically that happens with the body. Like, I'm just wondering if that might be why, because I know cycling is such a grueling sport when you get into it and the mental energy and the mental, you know, the mental strength you need to have to be able to endure that type of work is there. So a lot of times we might just think that same mentality needs to go into the weight room. when in reality, you need to think of your strength training, I think in a much different way. That's an absolutely fantastic question and a fantastic point all wrapped up into one. Um, so the fantastic point is about how mentally grueling it is. And, and as far as I've seen, and I'm far from an expert in this, uh, as far as I'm, I've seen in, in my 18 years or so here working with cyclists and triathletes, there is a large percentage who have um, mental health hiccups, uh, we'll say. They're not mentally unhealthy, but they have an aversion, not an aversion, they have a, yeah, I guess aversion to things being too easy. There's no such thing as, as being an easy way. Mm-hmm. It has to be hard. So we're seeing this now with, you know, Ironman is now the new marathon. I remember back in the early 90s thinking my neighbors were running three marathons a year, pretty good times, like four and a half hours, not training super amount. Like that's impressive. And now, and I have a, a big bone with Ironman because they take anybody essentially, and they are literally ruining people's lives just to cross the finish line and get a tattoo or tell people they finished an Ironman. Um, when it comes to cyclists and triathletes, the ones who actually make it are the ones who understand that when it is time to do an all out, whether it's 30 seconds or a minute or 15 seconds, they can actually tap into the hurt locker and do it repeatedly for those efforts. And when it's time to recover, everybody else is passing them going, what are you doing? Why are you going so slow? What's going on? Meanwhile, they're focusing on their breathing. They're making sure that they're pedaling circles as opposed to pedaling squares and focusing on the skill of riding. We're practicing riding slow on a line and doing these things that are going to make them better. Whereas most cyclists think, and, and, and I did this at the beginning of my career also, VO2 max means go as hard Well, no, the magic is there's roughly a range and it can be done by heart rate. It can be done by RPE. It can be done by power. And while power is power is power, there are going to be days where it's, it's asynchronic with your heart rate. And which one do you go by? Heart rate. Unless you know, hey, I'm dehydrated. Hey, I didn't sleep well. Hey, I had way too much caffeine before this ride. Hey, I've been stressed. If you can know your body well enough and you don't need HRV to do that, but you just pay attention and write notes Mm -hmm. uh, in your rides as how you felt and and what those numbers meant to you, you can get much more. So the RPE is is coming into cyclists who think that they just need to go hard. VO2 max, go as hard as you can. When you're recovering, you still have to go fast enough to keep up with the group. That's what I had when I coached the, the team here is they used to just all, they used to think I would just go slowly around while they were doing their workouts. I was doing the workouts and when they would see me go fast, it was very rare because I was doing it so that I wouldn't pass them while they were in their efforts. That was a beauty to my coaching. Sometimes I'd be like, oh, three, three and a half minutes, look behind. Oh, there's someone behind me. And I'd just slow down and breathe. And by the time they get to me, they're like, oh, are you gonna work out today? Uh, I am. You didn't see how long it took you to catch up to me. And then I slowed down, but you're not breathing hard. Right, because I can bring it down in the 30 yeah. seconds it takes you to catch mm-hmm. me. I wasn't the fastest one, mm-hmm. but that's, that's where, you know, uh, Trevor Connor was on my podcast a while ago and he talks about, uh, he was riding with this really, really fast guy and he's like, oh, I'm going to impress him and do 300 watts up the climb, da, da, da. 
And the guy comes up to him and says, I don't want to go that fast. If you do that ever again, I'm never riding with you or you're never riding with us ever again. And it's just kind of insane to, to look at this and you hear these types of stories over and over again from the professional riders, the guys who actually make it. And yet everybody thinks you have to go super hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's a, a long answer to your question, but it, yeah. it, it really is. There are these mental health or mental approach, um, not issues, but irregularities that help make people better cyclists. And that's also why we're seeing more of these really, really, really long events is because just more is more is more is more is better. Mm-hmm. You have how many bikes do you have? N plus one, always the answer. Um, yeah. Well, for I, it's I remember just growing I mean, up. I, could, I could go. Yeah, well, I just, I just remember growing up, it's like running the marathon was like the big thing. If you did that, that's like the ultimate endurance track. Then it's like, now it's the triathlons. Now it's like the ultra marathons where people are running hundred mile races because 26.2 miles is just absolutely, that's just for wimps. You know, now it's like, you got to go a hundred or plus and go in there. And it's like, Hey, look, if that's your, if that's your bag, if that's where you want to roll, that's great. But you know, the point you brought up there about it, you know, it has to be hard you know, when I talked with Dave Whitley last time, his, his best line that he, uh, that he gave me was about suffering versus sacrificing. It's like, we think that in order to get where we need to be is we need to suffer. You know, it's like, you can, you can take this a lot from people who have, you know, been crazy in the financial world who are making millions and billions of dollars and stuff like that. They don't think that they need to work for every single cent that they get there. They're sacrificing time and working smart, but a lot of times we think, oh, to get anything more, we need to add more suffering on top of it. It needs to be more effort. It needs to be more effort. And, you know, I think that's something that, especially if you're young in athletics or young and just getting into your career or whatever, you have a lot of energy in like your 20s. So you think like you can put the 12, the 14 hours a day and just to think like this. Well, in reality, it's like, that's probably not the best long-term approach that you're going to need to get into. So it's that, yes, do you need to sacrifice time, you know, to do this? Absolutely. Do you need to suffer? 100% not, you know, from there. And I saw that a lot with um, learning a lot from training with Sinister. It's like a lot of days are kind of timeless days where you're doing things based on your RPE. What's your talk test? Are you ready for the next set? And you're getting very in tune with your body. Now getting into some peak work where now all of a sudden you're getting into some glycolytic work and getting a little bit of that acid bath the first day you do that, I'm like, oh shit, this freaking sucks. Like, you know, we don't like doing that. Like we like the other ones going in. There's a, there's a good point to both of them. It's like, you need to have, as you said, be able to turn it into that next notch and go for that one minute all out at that time. Stuart McGill talked about that when I spoke about it. It's like those guys who step up on the platform and you know, pull that max weight on there. Like their mind is so like they could commit murder at that time. Like they're so into that mind. But then as soon as they get off that, they're going back, they have that under control. And I think that's where it's kind of like, I mean, you can go philosophical with the shadow of everybody has a shadow in there too. And if you can harness and go into that mindset when you need to, that's great. But to live in that zone all the time, you're going down a really shaky path. Yeah. And all of the high performers that I know, uh, especially in the special, special ops, special units, uh, both here and in the States, every single one, and I, my hackles are standing up with the, the Stu McGill thing. Every single one, when it comes down to performing a feat of maximum strength or, or maximum effort, or even an RP of eight, the level of intensity that they bring is so far above and beyond. And then in between, it's the exact opposite. You kind of look at them, you're like, oh, you're, you're pretty athletic looking. Wow, that's a lot of weight on the bar. Mm-hmm. And then it's just this, it's a, it really is a switch yeah. where they have that, that mental focus and acuity and the ability to be able to emit that force that most humans can. Women lifting cars. But that's, that's where I think when you're going easy, you go easy. Like it doesn't mean, you know, grandma with the Pomeranian is passing you all the time, but the, the efforts that I have the hardest time getting my athletes to do are the all outs mm-hmm. until they, I, there's, there's cardiac power. Um, there's cardiac capacity. There's a number of different ones that I use. The AR 15 are the ones I think 
I put into the book. And there's a bunch of other ones that I actually could not put in the book because talking to other coaches and mentors, like if you put this in there, you realize people are going to take this to the 15th degree. You'll have great Instagram and Facebook uh, feeds for a while, but then people are going to blow up and hurt themselves because it's just, they don't understand moderation. Mm. Uh, so we actually pulled out like nine, 10, 11 different efforts that can really help because people are just irresponsible. Uh, it's like giving a howitzer to, to a trigger happy nun, you know, like, oh, I'm a nun. Ah, look at that. Boom, 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 boom. Like, oh, look at that. That stuff really blew up. Mm-hmm. Like you do realize. And um, trigger happy nun. I don't know where I came up with that one. Um, and that's, that's one of the problems with Cyquist. I have a, uh, an Ironman. He's doing his first one this weekend and he just uh, crushed six by one minute all outs. Second best power in his uh, across the board. Each one was in like plus or minus three or four watts. And he's like, you know, everybody on, on the club was kind of like, why are you doing all outs? You should be doing taper. And it's like, and he's just like, wait, wait, don't tell me. This is one of those times where what's commonly practiced isn't necessarily the best thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, exactly. When you're going into an endurance event, you need to keep the higher energy system sharp. We're getting training stress. You're getting the ability to work on your your skill of riding, uh, and you're pushing in to where you're going to keep sharp the other energy systems and properties that are going to allow you to perform for endurance for a really long day. Mm-hmm. Like what's common is you do a taper from four weeks out or three weeks out or two weeks out, and you go less, 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 and then all of a sudden you shock the body with this massive, massive effort. Like, well, yeah, that's one approach. But does that work for everybody? Hell no. Is that the mm-hmm. best thing for most people? Absolutely not. Right. Like you've got to keep the, that intensity. But, but, and this is where it comes into strength training as well. And, and with the book, I tell people at the beginning, don't just read the book. Because what will happen when people read the book is they get a chapter two in and they go, oh, this is boring. Start one of the, the programs in the back. I actually put three year-round strength training programs. One is just body weight. The other is uh, kettlebells and bands. And the other one is dumbbells and barbells. Love it. Choose one. Doesn't matter which one. Right. Just Choose one, wherever you want. And each of them are made for roughly 35 to 45-year-old male and females, um, which was really tough. That took like hours to get the right one. It was Mm -hmm. such a pain. Because I was like, oh, I'll put in like four or five different training programs. And then I'm like, oh my God. Uh, this is just going to take me just as long as writing a book uh, to do do these. Mm -hmm. And you have to start, right? Because you're just going to learn by making the mistakes. And that's the other, uh, and I think that the, the, the last most important thing is like how to properly use the book, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Pick it up, read the intro, start. Going through, questions are going to come up. This is not written as a, a standard fitness book where you have one training plan. Like weight training for cyclists was great. Uh, I think late 90s, early 2000s, they put it out. Very, very basic um, essentially 1970s approach, but it, Hey, it got people to start thinking about strength training for cycling. This is a manual. This is essentially a textbook written in an easy to read manner that will help you actually go out and do things. Mm-hmm. And when people want to learn more, uh, the resources in there are, are, I put in very specific ones and that was also really hard because I didn't want to overflow people with all these different resources. So it was very carefully selecting What's the next step from this book? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've had a couple people say, you know, you just need to list all the references. I'm like, we have two bastardizations going on right now in, in the fitness world. One is people just going out and do the hard, like we talked about, mm-hmm. super hard, crazy, technical and difficult and impressive. And then the other side is people who are sitting there and putting together 15 or 20 minute YouTube videos citing all of these research articles yeah. and then saying from all the research, the best workout is going to be X, you know, A, B, C, D. And as a practitioner, you look at that and you're like, you are going to burn someone out and you're going to hurt them. Why would you put heavy deadlifts after heavy squats in the same day? You never do that. Yeah. Um, so that, that's kind of where we're at. And and the book is written really start it, pick it up. We put it into three specific, uh, segments. There's Mm -hmm. fundamentals, uh, train. And I can't remember what the other one, let's, let's look at, mm-hmm. actually scroll back. So we have fundamentals, the vortex method and then yeah. train, yeah. Uh, and then sample training plans. So most people pick up the book, read the intro and then go right to the, the training and just start, mm-hmm. just start doing stuff. And I linked, uh, on the HV training website, I actually have videos for every single video or every single exercise in there. Cause it's not the way to learn is looking at pictures. Although we do have high quality pictures in there now. 
um, because that's one of the things that I couldn't stand about a lot of textbooks. And, and Dr. McGill was actually one of the first who added a disc to his uh, low back disorders, I believe it was, so that people could actually see how to properly do the McGill crunch, the side plank, and he cued mm-hmm. these. Uh, and then very quickly it went from CD to now there's all this uh, media. To kind of encapsulate everything we spoke about so far, regardless of whether it's cyclists or triathletes, one of the first things you need to, to take a step back and ask yourself is, is this the best approach for me? And if you don't know any better, start with one. Don't program hop. And you talked about this when you came on my podcast, which is like, you know, you could program hop every day because you're talking to so many different people. You're like, that sounds good. That sounds good. Yeah. Adam sounds awesome. Yeah. And you just have to stick with something. So you're coming back to Sinister after some time and building up. Um, and what a lot of people miss, especially cyclists and triathletes, is there's so much information out there and most of it is just to get your attention, which nowadays you get five to 10 seconds on Instagram. If you catch their attention, maybe you have a two and a half minute clip. And if you follow that stuff, you're going to get below average results. Mm -hmm. Just like investing. If you're following the the hot stocks, you're going to get below average results because you're going to, you're going to buy when it's high. You're going to sell when it's low and you're, you're just going to trail. Mm-hmm. So what's the form of indexing, so to speak, to stick with the investing uh, uh, parable here? Indexing is just choosing one program that's been proven and just following it. Yeah. Do it once through. Do it twice through. Eric Cressy's Maximum Strength, I did that when the book came out. I did it again three years later, and then I did it again when I was training a CrossFit athlete because there was a lot of interesting stuff there. Don't just do a program once. Go back and try it again. Mm-hmm. See what's changed. What have you learned as Absolutely. you go through it? Mm-hmm. And the last one is, it's not sexy. If you really want to perform better as a strength athlete in anything, it's the simple, stupid things like skills training. Every time I've had a skills session, all of a sudden, uh, I'm not going to be able to make it on Tuesday this week. Uh, My wife said she might want me to clean the garage in uh, January on the second Sunday. So uh, yeah, I'm going to have to stay home and um, clean the chain on my bike so that uh, the second Sunday in January... I'm available. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Not well, making it, that one up. The cleaning the chain thing I did, but the rest were like, it's, it's October. Seconds? What? Yeah. Well, it, and what you talked about there of like the, the program, like I, I think that's one big thing is we, there is so much information out there that it can be almost paralyzing where you just like want to just keep reading. You just want to keep learning. it. It's like, and I love how you said that of how to utilize this book you know, in the best way, because as I said, like, I love the structure of how um, you wrote this book out. And as I said, it's like, yeah, grab the program, jump on the program. And as you're going through the program, then read through it. You can understand the why you can understand the philosophy and you'll learn more about it. But as you said that, which I think is such a vital point that I don't want anybody to miss is that when just because you've gone through a program once, it's like, go back through it again and see what you learn there. One of my favorite quotes ever was by Beethoven, which is don't just practice your art, but force your way into its secrets. It's like, I've done so many different programs where I've gone back the second time or the third time in my head thinking like, oh, this is exactly the results now I'm going to get because this is what I did before. But in the reality, you were at a different point in your life. And you might've, you know, a lot of times with beginners, like just getting into a program from doing something from absolutely doing nothing, you're going to see these huge results that you're going to drive for. Uh, for But then the next time you go through, maybe the results are going to be a little bit different, but you're going to still learn a lot more about yourself. And that's more, and that's the most empowering thing about what we do is when you actually can go through a program again, and you can check the things that maybe you missed before, you know, that's, I just did a solo episode about um, four books that I reread this year that I got so much value from because the last time I read through them, I didn't check these different things. I just highlighted them in a different color before. I was like, wow, I missed this before. It's important to go back and to see these things again and to practice them for yourself. You know, just because, because somebody else who did it out there, they might've got some results from it does not mean you're going to get the same results. You might even get better results, you know, from it, or you might get less. But as you said, you got to roll through it and you got to, you got to just practice. You got to just practice it. You got to put it into play. Yeah. And that's the hardest part for most people. And I think when I started doing the group coaching, that was kind of for me as a coach, the, 
big thing that I realized is that there's so much more learning that happens when you see other people because nine times out of 10 or eight times out of 10, when you explain the same thing to somebody else is when a light bulb goes off for the other athlete. Like we do a, a post-workout uh, uh, talk is then you're looking at one specific athlete then all of a sudden the one that you're kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not getting through them. They come up after like, hey, you know, you were just explaining to so-and-so about that. Wow, that really makes sense. And you're like, wow, what? I've been trying to tell you this for the last <laughs> five weeks in those words. Yeah. But when it's not directed at you, you're much because, you know, some people you direct coaching at them and they go, uh-huh, 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 and they just, he's wrong, he's wrong, he's wrong, he's picking on me, he doesn't like me, da 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 da, which is interesting. But um, yeah, so it, it's, it's tough, man. You know, I, I'm not sure where things are going to go for me uh, after having written the book. I know that we had a small quality hiccup with a couple of the um, pictures in the uh, low back thing. So Amazon flagged it as a quality thing. Um, which is interesting, right? So you see like people actually stop buying when the quality thing comes and it's very minor. Like I, I have it on Kindle and I went through it. I was like, it's a little bit blurry. Mm-hmm. You can still read it even when you make it the smallest or the biggest, but it's not as crisp. So it, that's another thing with the, you know, following. So it's very interesting to see how influ- influenced people are by that. But the, the bottom line is, and, and Celine was kind enough to write the, uh, the intro for this, uh, it, the, the reason it's so big, it's like 400 something pages is because it's everything in one. You could go out and find all these other books and all these other references and put it together on your own. But the whole point of paying for something, especially a program like this is it's all in one. You don't need yeah. to go anywhere else. Um, and that, that's the other thing that kind of gets me nowadays is a lot of coaches are just putting out one thing and it doesn't give you enough of an insight to really help you. Um, mm-hmm. I mean that in a nice way, right? There's only so much you can put out there uh, as well. Right? No, I get it. I think that's, we've gone down. Yeah. I think that's the huge difference of when, um, when I saw this book and I started going through it, I was like, wow, this is as thorough as you need to get into. And with anything that's so thorough like this, you're not going to just read through it and just then put it on the shelf and be like, okay, I read that. It's like, this is a great thing. If cycling is something that you're already doing right now, or it's something that you want to get into and really understand not only the science, but the art behind it at the same time of how to incorporate strength training with it. This is, you know, going to be your new Bible, you know, to get into. So, um, no, it is, this is, it's such a huge value. Um, and it's right up there with, um, you know, with anything else that you're going to see regarding strength training for endurance. Thanks, man. That means a lot. Absolutely, man. So, <laughs> well, dude, man, it's, uh, it's been great reconnecting again. And again, so, so pumped for you with this new book and I'm excited and I know it's going to help a lot of people going out. So, um, so for best way to people consume more of the content is Instagram, the best way human vortex. Uh, I would actually say, uh, uh, Facebook or YouTube, uh, H V training, mm-hmm. uh, Ubiquitous across all of them, HV training for each of the, the different ones. I'm not really active on Instagram. I just linked up my Facebook to automatically post when I put a picture up. So if you see stuff, you're like, that's not Instagram. There's a reason. I just don't really spend a lot of time. Um, but yeah, uh, the book's available on Amazon. The paperback is going to be released here in about two and a half to four weeks, depending on the printing process. Uh, and the holdup was the index. Uh, one of the big things is I wanted a much better, more detailed index mm-hmm. because there was so much in there. So got an awesome freaking indexer. The dude just knocked it out of the park. Um, so once that's finalized, uh, that'll be out in print. And um, yeah, make sure you guys are following here to the podcast, the previous that you guys, uh, uh, the previous one that you just uh, did with Adam uh, mm-hmm. is pretty fantastic. And Fabio, I'm, I'm really pumped, man. So thank you so much for having me and uh, can't wait to hear more here. Awesome, man. Good. Well, dude, it's great connecting with you. Um, so pumped about your book. And listeners, thank you so much for following. If you want to grab a copy of Menachem's book or jump on and follow him, you know where to do that. And I will see you on the next one. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I hope you came away with great stories and insights that you can use to create more strength and success in your life. Remember now, for a time, you can grab a free copy of the One Day Strength Challenge, the playbook that incorporates proven strength aerobics training along with the skill of intuition to help you create, design, and achieve your perfect training plan that fits around your busy schedule. Just go to www.thebreakthroughsecrets.com and grab your free copy today. It's your life. Make it the strongest possible. Catch you guys later.